that we'd like to do. Maybe for those who are graduating in the coming weeks, it's plans for what you want to do for work or plans for what you want to do for post-secondary education. Some people here are planning to get married this summer. Maybe some have plans to travel or have people that you want to see. The point is we all have hopes and desires and goals. And on top of that, I think all of us have spiritual goals. Perhaps you have a Bible reading plan that you want to follow or you want to be more constant in prayer. Perhaps you have certain sins in your life and you want to be resolved in the fight against that sin. Regardless of what that looks like for you, I think it's fair to say that all of us want to live out our faith better in the remainder of this year than we have in the start of it. And I think we all have room to improve in that regard. We want to be a better witness of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I think that we desire for people to see it in the way we raise our families, the way we treat each other at school, the way we conduct ourselves at work, And I want you to know that that is God's desire as well. Spiritually speaking, God does not want us to be in the same place a year from now that we are today. Instead, as we see in our text today, God wants us to experience continually this transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we turn to open up God's word, I'd like to ask you, what does that mean for you? What are the things in your life that need to be transformed? What are the things that need to change? And how do you expect that transformation to happen? These are the type of things that today's text answers. And so as we think about this transformation, I'd like us to consider three things. It's the goal of this transformation, the motivation for this transformation, and the process of this transformation. So first then, the goal of this transformation. At the heart of our text today lies the command in verse 2 to be transformed. That command forms the very heart of this text. And the Greek word used there is the word metamorpho. It's a word that probably rings a bell for many of you because it's the root of our English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis describes this process of how something has changed from one form into another. One of the ways that we see metamorphosis very clearly in our day-to-day is in the journey of caterpillars turning into butterflies. I'm sure that many of the kids here have spent some time catching caterpillars, and if you have, maybe you're familiar with the process. If you're not, though, it all begins with a creepy, crawly caterpillar, and at some point in its life, it fixes itself upside down on a branch, and it wraps itself in a cocoon And in that cocoon, something miraculous happens. That butterfly, or sorry, that caterpillar, it dies. And it turns into a beautiful butterfly. And that butterfly will never go back to being a caterpillar again. It's a new creation. And yet, at the same time, it is not a finished product. That butterfly still has to go through the process of shedding its cocoon, breaking out of its shell, growing and maturing and stretching its wings so that it ultimately becomes the thing that God desires it and has created it to be. I think there's a wonderful picture here of what happens in the Christian life. It's exactly the same type of imagery that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. We read, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, when we are united to him by faith, when Paul talks about us being in Christ, he's describing something miraculous that happens. He's describing a spiritual metamorphosis, if you will. He's describing how we are born again and become something new. We go from being people who are dead to sin to becoming people who are alive in Christ. It's the profound wonder of how somebody goes from being a condemned sinner to being a redeemed saint. And the amazing thing about the gospel is that if you are a redeemed saint, you never go back to being a condemned sinner again. If you are here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then even in your weakness and even in your struggles, you need to remember that you are not what you once were. But at the same time, you are not a finished product. And that is the point that Paul is driving home in this passage. Paul is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers, speaking to those who have been justified, who have been made right, And he has tried to drive home this reality that they are a new creation, but they're not a finished product. He's urging them to lead a life of sanctification. And I realize that sanctification is one of those big theological terms that pastors like to throw out there, but it's important. Sanctification describes God's desire to take us as believers, to to take us and, and to mold us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. We read this in Colossians 3. We are putting on the new self that is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And that's the goal of the Christian life. We want to become more and more like Jesus. That is God's desire for you in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Notice what Paul says earlier in Romans. In chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, nobody ever arrives as a Christian. On this side of glory, we don't get there. We're all just a work in progress. Which is why Paul continually uses this language of putting off and putting on. I think of Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. Here he says that we are called to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to put to death, to crucify the sinful desires the sinful passions of the flesh, the things that do not reflect Christ. And so whether you're here today and you're seven years old or you're 70 years old, as you think about the future, I want to ask you, what is it in your life that needs to go? What are the things that God is calling you to put off? What are the things that don't belong in terms of being a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, when I was a kid, we had an old TV. It was one of those old ones where you had to turn the knob to watch different channels. 
And we had certain shows that we were allowed to watch and certain shows that we weren't allowed to watch. But sometimes when my parents went out, uh, I would turn on the TV and watch whatever I wanted. But I was always worried about my parents coming back and catching me. So I would keep a constant eye out. And the moment the headlights turned in the driveway, I would frantically jump up and I would turn the channel to something acceptable, turn the TV off, race back to the couch and act like everything was normal. You know, I think we can do the same thing as Christians. We can come here on Sunday and pretend like everything is fine, as if nothing is wrong. We'd be okay if Jesus came back right now. In fact, for a lot of us, we would say that this would be the optimum time. This is exactly when we'd love for him to come back. But let me ask you this. Would you have been okay if Jesus came back yesterday? Would you be okay if he came back while you were at work or at school? Could he watch the things that you are watching? Could he listen to the music that you're listening to? Could he be part of whatever it is that you are doing? Loved ones, if there are things in your life that you would be ashamed or embarrassed for Jesus to see, then those are things that need to go. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews speaks about in Hebrews 12, where we are called to cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, because he is the goal of the Christian life. Our desire is to become more and more like him. So this begs the question, what's our motivation to lead this life? After all, this transformation is not exactly an easy process, is it? When you think about the language that Scripture uses, it's painful. Scripture talks about how it involves denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, crucifying our sinful nature, putting things to death. You think of Jesus' command in Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. Huh. What is it that could possibly compel someone to want to do that? It doesn't sound very attractive. Well, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul is building up to as he writes the letter to the Romans. Paul begins with the bad news. He spends the first three chapters providing a detailed explanation of the human condition, our rejection of God, our suppression of the truth, our pursuit of pleasure. And Paul concludes by stating that there is no one righteous, not even one. By the time you get to the end of Romans 3, you're almost ready to close the book. It's such a dark picture of humanity. And just when you think there's no hope for humanity, Paul begins to unleash the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul spends the next eight chapters walking through the gift of faith and the righteousness of God that is available through Jesus Christ. The freedom from sin, the peace with God, the new life in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gracious love of God and the promise of eternity. 
by the time Paul gets to the end of chapter 11, he's so overcome by the goodness and kindness and the love of God in Christ that he explodes with praise. And here in chapter 12, he begins by saying, if you truly believe the good news of the gospel, then your response should be the same. Notice how chapter 12 begins. I appeal to you, therefore. And whenever you are reading the scriptures and you stumble across this little word, therefore, uh, our our seminary, uh, our, our ministers who come through the seminary, they all like to remind us that the professors teach them if you run across the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? <clears throat> the word should raise a red flag. It's the author's way of saying, the point that I'm about to make is based on, it's linked, it's directly related to what I've been talking about before. And that's what Paul is doing here. Please don't be confused, loved ones. Romans 12 is not describing how to earn the love of God. It's describing how we should respond to the love of God. That's Paul's point. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And now I actually think a more helpful translation could be, I appeal to you, therefore, on account of the mercies of God or in view of the mercies of God. But Paul is saying... If you understand all the good things that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, there is only one appropriate response, and that is worship, living a life of thankfulness. And I mean, in some ways that makes sense. We understand that thankfulness is the appropriate response to a gift, and the level of thankfulness will typically be a reflection of how a person views their gift. Imagine, for example, a Christmas gift exchange where you uh, have a family, you draw names, and everybody gets the other person a gift. Now imagine there's one brother in that family, he's about 20 years old, and he has to buy a gift for his younger brother. He's 16. Unfortunately, that older brother, he forgets entirely about this. And so on the day of the exchange... He's boots out of the house and he's, he's in a panic. He runs to the store trying to find something that's open and he's scouring town and he comes home and he gets a gift. Well, everyone else in the family later that night, they're having an awesome time. They're opening gifts. There's a lot of joy. But that 16-year-old brother, when he opens his gift, well, he, he pulls out a miniature pool set. This tiny little pool table with tiny little pool cues and tiny little balls a gift for a child needless to say it wasn't on his wish list and he's not feeling very thankful but what do you think his reaction would have been if the older brother had scraped together all of his money and went and bought him his first car could you imagine that everyone else is opening their gifts and the older brother invites the younger out to the driveway he unveils his car just for him that younger brother probably would have been overwhelmed. He probably would have wept at the kindness of his brother. And he probably would have told everyone about what he'd done for him. Well, as Christians, we have an older brother who has paid the ultimate price to give us the greatest gift that we could ever want or need. A new identity, a new purpose, new desires, 
a new life in Christ, freedom and forgiveness in Christ, and everlasting love of God. And as Christians, it is that gift that drives everything we do. That is what drives our worship, and that is what drives our witness in this world. And that's exactly what we see in our text. Paul says, In the light of the good things that God has done, I urge you to present your, sac- your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. As Christians, there is really only one appropriate response to the gospel, and that is a life of worship. Now today it seems that when we use the word worship, we're largely talking about what we're doing here, what happens on Sunday. But in view of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, if that's all we're offering is a couple hours a week, there is something lacking and inappropriate about that response. Paul is using Old Testament imagery here to drive the point home. In the Old Testament, people were called to offer sacrifices to the Lord. If you look at the book of Leviticus uh, in the opening chapters, it describes all these offerings that the people would give to God. They would take animals without defect and they would offer them as a way to atone for sin and as an expression of their thankfulness to God. And we know that these sacrifices were ultimately pointing us forward to the only acceptable sacrifice offered by Jesus, the Lamb of God. Peter, for example, in 1 Peter 1, verse 19, ties into this imagery, and he reminds us that as believers, we can have complete confidence because all of our sins and blemishes have been washed in the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The awesome news of the gospel is that Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. He has completely paid the penalty of our sins. So we are no longer called to offer the bodies of animals as part of our worship. Instead, we are called to offer up our own bodies. In Romans 6, verse 12 and 13, we read, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul's point is simply this. If you want to live a life of thankfulness, take your life and offer it as worship. This worship can be simple things. When you're frustrated and you bite your tongue and you don't say what your heart wants to say, please understand, that is worship. When you refuse to give in to the temptation to watch things that you shouldn't be watching. That is worship. When you crucify and you put to death the sinful desires in your your heart and in your life that you know are not pleasing to God, even though you love those things, that's worship. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute of our lives is worship. And God wants it. And he deserves it because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. That is what drives our worship. But the gospel is also what drives our witness. You see, in this life, 
you are being shaped in one of two directions. You are either being conformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ, or you are being conformed to be more and more like this world. And the reason why as Christians that we desire to become more and more like Jesus Christ is so that when people in this life encounter us, they encounter something of him. We want our hands and our feet and our mouths to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus so that when people encounter us, they encounter something of him. But this does involve sacrifice. It means offering your lips and your lives, your time and your talent in order to worship and to witness to the wonder of what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is what we are exhorted to do. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16 says, Through him, that is Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so I want to ask you this afternoon, has the gospel caused you to live differently? Are there things in your life that you're willing to sacrifice in order to become more and more like Christ? And if you're struggling with that, then I just urge you to go back to the cross. Go back to the bloodstained hands and feet and body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Reflect on his love, his willingness to offer everything for you. And as you do that, you will discover that you become more and more compelled to offer up your life for him. Not so that we can say, hey, look at us. It's ultimately so that we can say, hey, look at him. So that's the goal and the motive. Now let me close briefly with the process of this transformation. Some of you might be here this morning and you are convicted by the power of the Spirit and you recognize that there are things in your life that probably need to change and you desire to do that. You desire to live a life that brings God glory. but you're not sure how to make that happen. Where do we go from here? Well, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul explains the process of transformation. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, this transformation we're talking about is not a quick one-time deal. It's not like you're convicted and you go home and you pray and bang, you suddenly get a renewed mind. The word that Paul uses here, especially in Greek, is intended to convey a process. It's intended to convey what we would call an ongoing action. It's a renewal that will take work and a renewal that will be greatly affected by the kinds of things that we put into our minds. If you hear this message this afternoon and are convicted of the need for further transformation, 
And yet you go from here and you, you spend the remainder of this year just without discernment, watching whatever you watch, reading whatever you read, listening to whatever you listen to, just, just filling your mind and allowing the messages of your contemporary culture to determine what is good and acceptable and perfect, then don't be surprised if you don't experience the transformative power of the gospel. Don't be surprised if you find that you're being conformed after the pattern of this world. If we desire to experience this transformation, we need to pray that our minds would be filled with the Spirit. We need desperately to be filled with the Spirit. And we know that the Spirit works through the Word. Jesus promises in John 16 that the Spirit will comfort and convict and guide us in all truth so that we can have clarity and conviction about, the will of, about what the will of God is. So I would encourage you to prayerfully seek the Spirit. Maybe through the wisdom of Spirit-filled people. Maybe by trying to take the time to listen to great godly podcasts. There are lots of amazing resources out there that you can listen to. Place yourselves under the preaching of the gospel. This is where the Spirit works. Do you want to live differently and think differently? The thing that will have the greatest impact in your life is spending time in God's Word. We know, according to Scripture, that the Spirit works through the Word. I love the quote from J.C. Ryle. The true Christian was intended by Christ to, provide all, to prove all things by the Word of God. All churches, all ministers, all teaching, all preaching, all doctrines, all sermons, all writings, all opinions, all practices. These are his marching orders. Prove all by the word of God. Measure all by the measure of the Bible. Compare all with the standard of the Bible. Weigh all in the balances of the Bible. Examine all by the light of the Bible. Test all in the crucible of the Bible. That which cannot abide the fire of the Bible, reject, refuse, repudiate, and cast away. This is the flag which he nailed to the mast. May it never be lowered. You know, if I used a sermon illustration about a silly contest that I had seen on YouTube, let's say from some hugely popular YouTube channel like Mr. Beast. Now, I'm pretty social media illiterate, but I think that many of you young people here would be able to know exactly what I was talking about if I started to describe one of his videos. I could probably see the light go on. I would be able to see from up here that you knew the video and you liked the video. I would be able to see from that short description that many of you follow his channel and are familiar with who he is and what he's about. The question I want to put before us this morning is do we have that same reaction to Jesus? Do we follow him in a way that we're intimately familiar with who he is and what he is about? If you want your life to be transformed, follow him. As you look at his sacrifice, it will cause you to sacrifice. As you look at his life of worship, it will shape your life of worship. As you follow him, your mind will begin to understand the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So, whatever lies ahead for you in the future, follow Jesus and experience the transformative power of the gospel. Amen.